So, good evening. Everybody awake? Hannah, get out. Just kidding. I'm excited to be sharing this message with you guys today. And um, it's this passage we just read is one that always kind of just ignites my heart. Because I think this text is meant to realign us today with a living hope. This living hope that we have in the resurrected Jesus Christ. Because the good news is, even though we celebrated Easter last week, Jesus is still risen today. He's risen. Yeah, you guys sound really awake. He's risen. It's good news and something that we can be excited about and rejoice in. And last Sunday, we didn't have church at five, but in the morning service, we looked at the words of Jesus where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And today we want to go a little bit deeper in this idea of Jesus as the resurrection and the life because Jesus is not only risen today, but he's also our living hope. And this hope starts today, it starts now, but it extends into eternity. So before we dive in, let me just pray really quickly. Father, we thank you so much for this text that we can look at today, that we can uh, just ponder on and, and be encouraged by today, so many years after it was written. I pray, Father, that our hearts would be open to receive from you, and I would specifically ask, Father, for your joy today in all of our hearts to be reminded of what we have, what we've been given, what we have access to because Jesus Christ is alive. And that this would be something that ignites our hearts again today, ignites them for you. And I pray that every word I speak is your truth and your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus' death and resurrection, if we look at it from kind of taking a step back in the broader sense, is this kind of turning point throughout for all of human history. It's this kind of center point of human history because throughout the Old Testament, if we look at all the stories of all these great men and uh, great men and women of God and all of the things that they accomplished, all of this, there were so many images and foreshadowing of what was to come of a promise, of a hope that was to come. It was only the beginning of something. So for thousands of years leading up to Jesus and the cross, there was this glimmer of hope of a greater future to come. And of course, this is most recognizable in the promise of a Messiah that would come. A Messiah, and Messiah is basically just the Old Testament word for Christ that Jesus would come, that a Christ, a Messiah would come, one that would bring in a new kingdom, and one that would restore us in our standing with God, meaning that he would bridge the gap, he would store the, the balance so that we, as God's creations, could still have relationship with God as our creator. And through the cross, And through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have entered into this promised time. Because now we live in a time where God's given us new hearts. We have 
new hearts. It says they, God promised in the Old Testament that he would take the hearts of stone and replace, replace them with soft hearts of flesh that can be sensitive to God. And we see this in the work of the Holy Spirit in us. A time when we can all call on God and have personal, real relationship with him, with creator God. I know this is like, yeah, I know, but man, let's not let this become stale in our minds and in our hearts. This is awesome stuff and something that they didn't have in the Old Testament. In fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew that when he's, he's talking about John the Baptist and he says, of all, the, all those born of women up to the time of John the Baptist, there's none greater than he. And he goes on to say, but whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So what Jesus is doing is he's saying all the kings, all the prophets, all of the great men and women of the Old Testament and all that they've accomplished, all that they had access to and, and what they were called to do in that season of the world, us, even the least of us here today, the least of us, I'm not looking at anybody in particular, even the least of us is greater it's greater. What does that mean? I mean, I'm looking around. What's so great about us? I mean, we look at the story of David and all these great stories of the Old Testament. He's saying, no, you, those in the kingdom are greater. Why is this? What we have today as believers is something that all those before us, before Jesus, rather, only hoped to have, only hoped to attain when Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior today, when we believe on Him in that way, we're in this kingdom. We're a part of that new kingdom that Jesus is talking about. We enter it the moment that we truly believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord. And, most importantly, that He is risen. That He is risen Lord. And what Peter is saying to us in this text is that we have reason to rejoice. We should be filled with joy at what we have been given. I want to read verse 3 again from our passage in 1 Peter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we see that it's through the resurrection, but I want you to really notice this thing. I, I, we can look over it really quickly. It is in His great mercy. It is in His great mercy that He has given us these things. It's out of God's mercy and His grace that of all the generations before Jesus Christ, we are blessed to live in this age. We are blessed to live in the new covenant something that we can so easily and so often forget and take for granted. And do you even know all that you have access to, all that God has given you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus is alive, if he's dead, then we have nothing. Everything is, it, it's all nonsense. He was just some guy that lived and died. But because he lives, we have access to so many great things. We have the Holy Spirit that we could spend weeks talking about. 
who's working in us, active in us, leading us and guiding us in everything we do and as we walk in our walk with the Lord. Again, we have this communion with God that we can be in communication with our Creator. And as the text showed us, we have this inheritance. And along with this inheritance, we will receive it with all generations at the final resurrection that will lead us into eternity where we spend forever with a loving God. All that we have, all that we have access to is by and through and out of the mercy and grace of God. It is a gift to us. And there's so much more that we could be diving into in the sense of what we've been given because Jesus is alive today. Unfortunately, we don't have the time. And uh, since we only have a little bit of time, we're going to focus on these gifts that Peter kind of brings to our attention and reminds us of in the text that we looked at today. So number one, number one thing that we want to look at that we see in the text is that we've been given new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Now this living hope is our relationship with Christ, and we'll see that all throughout. But what I want to focus on in this number one, the first gift, is our new birth. What is new birth? This is something that's like, I've heard this many times. But I think we, again, we don't want this to become stale in our minds and forget how crazy and ridiculous it sounds to say things like new birth, to be born again. Nicodemus, in John 3, 4, says to Jesus, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He's like, you know, I could just see one eyebrow up like, hello, you're talking crazy. And that's really a fair question when we say things like born again. I know it's common language in church, but let's not forget what we've been given and how crazy it might sound to others. And just to be sure, that's not how it works. If you were wondering, I hope you weren't wondering. So then what is it? What is it to be born again? Well, if we are true believers, if we truly believe in Christ and we are Christian today, then we've been given, it says we've been given the gift of new birth by the grace of God and through his mercy. But let's break it down a little bit more than that. In our Christian walk, we know this. It's a walk. It's a day-to-day thing. We're called to follow after Christ. Well, here in this idea of new birth, there's no exception. Jesus is the first fruit of the new covenant. He's the first fruit of of the resurrection. Meaning, he went first. He's showing us the way. And through this literal example that he gives us, he shows us the way to new life. Romans 6, 4 says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We have access to this new life. But before he rose from the dead, before Jesus defeated death in victory, he had to die. And because he's defeated death, 
and rose to new life, now we too have a living hope. That is our living hope, that we can too rise to new life, meaning to be born again. This is to be Christian. But what does it take then to be born again? For following after Christ, first we need to die. Just as Christ died and then was resurrected by the glory of God or through the glory of God, and then in his defeat of death itself, so too we, must we first die to ourselves. We need to die to our own sin through repentance. Luke nine twenty three. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. We need to take up our cross daily and follow him. Now, you've heard that before probably, but did you realize that when Jesus said this, the cross was not the symbol that it is today. The cross, our cross that we must bear, this was a symbol of death. Now, that's important for us to know because Jesus is not saying that we need to put on our cross necklaces and our Jesus t-shirt. Put the fish on the back of the car. That's not what he's saying. It was not this awesome, cool symbol and idea. It was a symbol of death. And what is Jesus then saying when he says, take up your cross and follow me? He's saying, first die to you. Die to your will and to your sin. Then follow after Jesus. Follow after him with all your heart, leaving all of that other stuff to the side. And this too, again, is a gift to us and comes out of this new life we've been given through new birth by what? By the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And I want to be clear, this is, this is not done by your willpower. This isn't done by trying really hard. You're not strong enough. We're not strong enough. This is done through the power, through the forgiveness, and the grace, and the work of the cross. So it's not your strength or my strength that gives me new birth. It was His strength on the cross. It's not my willpower and how hard I try. It's that Jesus surrendered His will to be crucified. It's only through faith in Jesus and Jesus resurrected that brings us to new life. It's only by this that we are truly born again. And when we are born again, we enter new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. I don't know, I could read that verse a thousand times and it never stops encouraging me. That's a great verse. Because what does that mean? It says, I'm no longer a slave to my past sin. I'm no longer a slave to my old habits or my old desires. I'm made new today. I'm made new in Christ. And I still may live in this flesh and I'm still going to battle with him from time to time, more often 
than I'd like to admit. But in this new birth, being born again through our living hope, which is Christ Jesus, you're no longer defined by your past mistakes. No matter what they are, no matter who you were, it doesn't matter who I was, who you were, what we've done. It is all covered by the blood. All of it. Completely. And finally, we have new birth, new life, and we are new creatures in Christ. This is Christianity. And this is now. There's no more killing of animals or spilling blood in order to come to God. Jesus has covered that. For thousands of years, they had to go to a high priest to be able to seek God's will. We can talk to him directly. We don't need a high priest to atone for our sins or the sins of our community or our city. Jesus is our perfect high priest. And no matter our past, by the grace of the cross and the living hope of the resurrection... We can come right to God with our needs, whatever they might be, with our praise and worship of Him, and with our repentance. This is our gift, new birth. So that's number one. Number two, out of this new birth, we are given and we are promised an inheritance. That's exciting. So it goes beyond today, it goes beyond now we also receive an inheritance. And as the text told us in verse 4, it's an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, never fade, and it is kept safe for us in heaven. This is the inheritance that's waiting for all of us at the end, at the finish line. Kind of an appropriate term since there's like people running around Freiburg all day today. I don't think this was waiting for them at the end of the finish line. Just a lot of exhaustion. I'm not a runner, if you can't tell. We have an inheritance. We have a good thing waiting for us at our finish line. And Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' resurrection is a promise and a pledge to all believers, all those that follow him, of their future resurrection. It is a pledge and a promise. Now, what what is Peter talking about here? He's talking about our eternal life, right? He's talking about heaven, our eternity with God, what we can be looking forward to. And I just want to point out all the things we could talk about heaven. I just want to point out a couple things. The Bible tells us there will be no more pain and no more suffering in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but... Most of us probably have experienced pain or suffering or we've experienced it through someone else that we care about or love and we've seen them in pain or in suffering. Man, we get to look forward to a time. We get to look ahead to the finish line and know that there will be a time where that won't be anymore. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. The Bible says that all tears will be wiped away. That means there will be no more sadness No depression, no loneliness, no fear. I know these are things that you've heard, 
when we talk about heaven. But man, don't let it fade in your heart. Don't let it become stale. This is what, this is what God has promised you. And what a promise, what an inheritance it is. In heaven, our joy will be complete through the perfect and everlasting love of God. It's good news for us today. And I think it gets even better, or at least I think this part's cool, is that the Bible says, and you can read it for yourself in First, uh, no, yeah, First Corinthians 15, most of that chapter is devoted to the idea of what our bodies will be like in heaven. And we're not going to have time to get into that, but I'll paraphrase, they're going to be really, really awesome. We're going to have awesome bodies, not the ones we have now. I don't care how fit and awesome you think you are, the bodies that we are going to get in heaven are better. We'll never hunger, never thirst, never be too weak or tired. We'll have new bodies that live forever, never grow old or weak. That's pretty exciting. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just me. Amen. She knows what I'm talking about. This is our inheritance. And I don't know, maybe you guys have experienced some kind of inheritance in your life. You've maybe inherited some money or a car, maybe a house. I don't know, whatever it might be. But I promise you that this is the greatest inheritance that anyone could ever hope to attain. And it is one that is promised to us. The word inheritance in the Old Testament is usually in reference to the promised land, the land that would be promised to the Israelites. And I think this is no accident that he uses this term because Peter is drawing this kind of comparison, bringing it into view that we have a a promised land that is waiting for us, an inheritance that is ours because it has been given to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we will receive it in his second coming when all are to be with him forever. I want to continue into verse 5. I want to read again. It says, You who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. This is to tie in with our inheritance. So we have this awesome inheritance that we have to look forward to. But as a part of this great gift of God by His mercy and grace today... We are shielded, we are guarded by the very power of God. Until, till when? Till tomorrow? No. Until the last time, until the end, until we receive that full inheritance at the finish line. Now note what he says though, what does it, how does this work? It says, it is through our faith, it is through our faith that we are shielded and will receive the promised inheritance. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's get back to the basics. According to Romans 10, 9, what does it say? Simply that we just simply need to say, Jesus is Lord. We need to proclaim that with our mouth. And we need to believe it in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Confess it. Believe it in your heart, and most importantly, not just that Jesus was this awesome guy, but that he rose from the dead, and you will be saved. Not saved for a day, 
not saved until you mess up too bad, until you screw it up again. Just believe, again, most important that Jesus is risen. And you are shielded. You are then shielded by the very power of God. And we're shielded until the very end. He brings us to the finish line when we believe in him. That's good news. That's really good news. And according to Peter, that's reason for us to rejoice today. That we're saved. We're brought into new life. And we have a future inheritance where we will be brought into eternity. Where we will have forever with a loving God. And in this, we are being protected, guarded, shielded by the power of God until we get there. Until we get to the finish line. The inheritance, that's safe. That's it's in heaven. It doesn't say that the inheritance is shielded. It says we are shielded. That's good news. And verse 6 brings it back down here to reality, brings it back down to the here and now. He says, in all this, you greatly rejoice. Yeah, awesome. We have this awesome inheritance. We've got new life. We're being shielded. We rejoice in that, right? You okay. But then it says, though now for a little while you may have hard, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So we can rejoice in what's to come, but we're still going to suffer and go through trials and hard times here in this life now. And Jesus warns us of this, right? That if we follow him, he, he says it's not going to be easy. He doesn't promise an easy life for us. He says we'll be persecuted, that we'll face trials and hardships and suffering of many kinds. And in Romans 8, 17, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This verse starts off really great. Co-heirs, I'm in. What does that mean, co-heirs? First of all, children of God, well, what does that mean? That's when we're born again, we are children of God. We come into the family of God. In Galatians, it, it paints it like we are adopted. You know, we were kind of, we were foreigners and God adopts us and we're called children. What does that mean? Well, God, Jesus is also the son of God. And so now we're co-heirs with Christ, which means we have this awesome inheritance. We have all these things we receive, not only through Christ and through the work of the cross, but with him. We're with him in it. How cool is that? I'm all in for co, co, uh, co-heirs. Sounds great. That's only half the verse, though. It also paints this idea of co-sufferers. If we are truly going to follow him and be called children of God, co-heirs with Christ, then we also may deal with suffering as Christ also had to suffer. What's up with that? Well, it's a fallen world. It's a fallen world out there, if you haven't noticed. And Jesus wanted us to be ready that we might be hated for his sake. We might be laughed at for what we believe in. And there will be times where life is just hard, where things just aren't easy. 
And for those of you who come here on a regular basis, we have to look at verse 1 of James, or verse 2 of the, in the beginning of James, that we should count it all joy. We should count all that we face, the hard times, the trials, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. But where are we meant to find joy in the midst of trials? Well, I'll give you two things. Number one, again, looking, keeping in the scope of our text for today. Number one, we have joy in looking not at where we are, but where we are going. Colossians 3.1, since then you have been raised with Christ, right? We've been raised with Christ. It means we are in new, brought into new life as, as the gift from him. You, uh, sorry, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. You've been raised to new life. You have joy that you have received because of this great truth. And because you've been raised with Christ, when we remember that, when we acknowledge that, and don't let it become mundane, don't let it become stale, but we really do remember what's waiting for us at the finish line. I'm telling you, there is nothing in this world, nothing in this world that can take from you the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. Everything else, everything else in this life, everything else in this world, whether really, really good or really, really bad, whatever you face, it all pales in comparison to the surpassing greatness and beauty of knowing Jesus as your risen Lord. The Christian life is not about living your best today. This is a, an idea that's floating around. We should live our best now. If you think that in this mortal life, in this life that you're living now, you're going to reach your peak, if you think that there's going to be this point in your life where everything just falls together and you're going to be at the highest you'll ever be, God is going to be a really big disappointment to you. Because when we have elevate this life too highly in our expectations, we're going to be so easily crushed when they don't work out that way, when things get hard, when things get difficult, instead, attach your joy, attach your meaning to Jesus as your living hope today. And in the hope and the promise, it's a promise, means it's going to happen, of an eternal, an eternal inheritance that is waiting for you at the finish line. So that's number one. Keep your eyes focused on what is ahead and above more than anything else. Number two, how do we have joy in the midst of all of our hard times and our trials? According to this text, in all our trials, we are being refined. Through God, our trials, our hardships have a purpose. In verse 7, Peter's painting this picture of our trials and he uses the image of gold. And this is a really great image because we know that any metal, in order for it to be its most brilliant, its strongest, must be refined by fire. And he's saying, Peter's telling us that the Christian life that endures all 
the hardships and trials of this life with joy to the very end, to the finish line. They are better than refined gold. No matter how shiny and beautiful it might be, there's nothing in this life that is better than the Christian that endures to the end. And when we truly believe on Christ and Him crucified and Him resurrected, God's going to be alongside us, shielding us to get us there. We just have to be, have faith in that and have faith in Jesus as risen Lord today. Now, I want to be clear that when we talk about joy, I'm not talking about always smiling and being happy. It'd be really creepy if all Christians were just like these weird robots smiling ear to ear constantly. That's not life. It's not skipping to work on Monday at 5 a.m. God help us all. I've never, ever skipped to work at five on a Monday. I'll be honest. That's not what joy is, right? Joy is something more, something deeper. And when we think about, if we, what I want you guys to do is just, to, let's change the, the perspective. Let's change the way we see dry times in our life, the way we see the more difficult seasons that we face at times. And remember that it is amazing. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? To think that God can use even our hardships in life for our greater good. I don't know if this is new to you, but you're going to have hardships and hard times either way. But when we're trusting in God, He's working those out for our greater good. And that God in His love and His perfect purpose for your life can transform a hard day, a hard week, a hard month, maybe a hard couple of years. He can transform those into personal growth and development for us today. Creating us and molding us to become who we've been called to be for eternity. And why is this so important for us to grasp, to hold on to? Because this is, as verse 7 showed us, this is the proven genuineness of your faith. That's a powerful statement. This is the proven genuineness of your faith. That we know that this life might be hard at times and no matter how we navigate, we're going to maybe find ourselves hitting a wall from time to time. And then the proof is in the pudding. Just wanted to throw that phrase out at you guys. Meaning what? Meaning that when we face a hard time in our life, a dry season, a difficult situation, bad news, whatever it might be, when we face this, we are going to know then who we really are, what we really believe, what we're really made of. What are we focused on? What do we stand on? Is your happiness linked to the outcome of your life or are you rooted in Jesus Christ as your living hope and your joy today? When we truly believe on Jesus as our Lord, and we're truly looking forward to our future inheritance that's coming, again, I'll say it, there's nothing that can steal your joy away. Nothing that can diminish the living hope you have in the resurrected Jesus. So let that hope 
and the promises of God fill you with joy today by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. As we're closing, I'll read verse 8 and 9 again. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the sum of the life lived in belief of Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen. That even though you have not seen him face to face, you trust in him, you believe in him, you love him, you turn to him in times of need. Even though you don't feel him always, you put your hope in him. And not just in times of need, but in times of praise, when things are going well, you also turn to him. This, this in itself, is the assurance of our salvation and the end result of your faith. I want to invite the band to come back up as we prepare to do the last song. And I'll leave you guys with this, especially as we're going to sing a song together. Let's have this in our hearts. I love this phrase, inexpressible and glorious joy. And I want to tell you guys, there is no one that calls Jesus Christ Lord that is without reason and purpose for rejoicing. Rejoicing with a full heart. Giving ourselves in complete submission and trust and belief in Jesus Christ as our Lord. As we wait with eagerness for the receiving of our full inheritance that is to come. So let's rejoice. Let's sing a song together as we close the service. I invite you guys to stand and to worship. Okay, guys. Um, I don't.